Have you ever tried to run up a mountain? I have. Rocky Balboa has. Does that make us cooler than you? Of course it does. You're just a jealous, lazy bum. But this is besides the point. You can't run up a mountain without a soundtrack. Rocky Balboa proved that while scaling a cold and unforgiving combination to the sounds of John Cafferty's Hearts on Fire. If I can change. Sure, it was an Eye of the Tiger, but I dare say that The Rock would never have made it to the top without that tune. You can change. For me, right now, my Running Up a Mountain soundtrack? Astronoid. It's the kind of music that even when it's loud, it still doesn't feel loud enough. It's Dream Thrash from Boston. For all we know, it could be shoegaze metal. I got on the phone and called Brett Bolin, the guy behind the multi-layered vocals that make Astronoid so dreamy. Generally, I hate doing phoners, unless Tom York or maybe the ghost of Bill Paxton is on the other line. But since Brett and Astronoid weren't passing through town to support their new headbanger dreamy shoegaze metal album, I decided to call Brett instead. And in true independent-minded interview fashion, on the way to the phone, I dropped my notebook in the urinal. But instead of crying in the corner and canceling, I fished it out and soldiered on. Everybody should change! And I'm not going to tell you if I had time to wash my hands. I will tell you that episode 90 of the Independent Minded Podcast turned from what was supposed to be a standard interview with the dude I admire about his process and his technique. Instead of that, it soon turned into a conversation between two nerds about the bands and the albums that we hold in reverie. To me, that's always been the biggest bond between all the guys I ever made music with. Our shared love of the same stuff. Shit, I probably have three extra friends just because of Dream Theater. And it's no different for Brett Boland. He is independent-minded. He makes his own records, and they're damn good. A guy named Bram recommended Astronoid. Sup, Bram? Bram's in a metal band from Jersey City where I used to live before I moved down to D.C. The band's called Black Whale. They've been featured on this podcast before. And Bram is one of those dudes I mentioned. He's immersed in the scene. He pays it forward. So yeah, even on the phone, it was cool to talk and get to know Brett, where he was hopefully sitting in the studio where he wrote and recorded most of the band's awesome new album, where he tells me he had just finished eating dinner for breakfast, and where he said he loved Marie Callender's, but I decided to cut that part for time and also the fact that they're not a paid sponsor, and where we soon discover that we love a lot of the same bands and that we both know a few guys in those bands too. It was probably the longest phone call I've had in about two years. So tie up those mountain running shoes. Let's kick it off with a new color from the album Astronoid. Then my conversation with Brett Boland right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do.
I wake up in the morning, I put my boots on, I trudge through the snow, get on the metro, and I go to work. Mm -hmm. And then when I have time after work, I'll work on my podcast, work on my music. Such is not the case for you, I would imagine. So what is a day in the life for Brett Boland of Astronoid? It's kind of similar. I do a lot of freelance work. Musical freelance work? No, broadcast engineering. I went to UMass Lowell for um, sound recording technology. So I learned how to make records and had a good idea of signal flow and all that stuff. And I transitioned that into the TV world where there's more money in that. And uh, I also got to make my own records. So you self-produced those records? Everything that Astronaut has done, we've self-produced, engineered, and did everything on our own. That's awesome. Except for mastering. We didn't master the new one. Magnus Lindbergh did. We're in Sweden, I believe. Yeah, not to get too nerdy, I've released a few records myself, and mastering is always this uh, enigma wrapped in a riddle. Did you feel like even with your scholastic background that you were not up to the task? or I think it's nice to have a fresh set of ears. The mastering process, it's a bit different, and I feel like people who do it more have a better understanding of it. And also just having someone else take a look at what you've done objectively. I'm really, really happy with it. And uh, we did everything in-house, like at our own little home studios, except for the drums, which we did at Futura in Boston. Do you think it's our duty as musicians to recommend other bands? I think it's important to, like, just to yourself as a music listener and a musician to uh, just honestly and organically tell people what you think of the music and if you love it and and share. And if you tell me to go check out this band and they have 10 records, I'm never going to get into them. I need to know <laughs> where to start. That's not fair, though. Like, what? Well, if, you're, you're missing out me, on uh, like a bands that have a rich history. But I like to know where to start. It makes it easier. Like, I heard one song from Killing Joke, and I fell in love with that band. Right and it on. was a later song I heard. And I couldn't stop listening to them. I listened to every album in their entire catalog but i didn't know where to start you know i was like i like this one song i like this one album what other like what else do i listen to there's two killing joke records called killing joke like <laughs> well, they what do the have, hell am i supposed to do here they do have a rich you know? catalog it's true and they're both great like both killing joke records are awesome let's engage in the process then if you like killing joke uh, are you familiar with prong yeah but i have never i've never really dove into them Unfortunately, I don't have Prong's discography in front of me, but... I do, man. (laughs) It's the album with Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck on it, which was a pretty big... As big as Prong ever got was, if you want to call it commercial rock radio, picking up on the song Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck. And I believe Paul Raven is his name. He was the bass player in that lineup of Prong, and he was a member of Killing Joke before he joined Prong. And that's the connection Uh, I think I'm making. I got the record. Cleansing. Cleansing. All right. Listen to Prong Cleansing. And and the one before it is really good, too. And the one before it... Prove you're wrong. That's kind of a little more rough around the edges. Not as well produced, but still some gritty late 90s, mid 90s metal. And the album before that, I believe, is called Beg to Differ. That album has the music that was the theme music to MTV's Headbangers Ball when I was watching uh, it back in the 90s with Ricky Rackman. So right. I've, I've just given you the entire history of Prong. Well, that's a good place to start because with those bands, I feel like I kind of missed it 
when I was younger, because in that time period, I had just figured out who Metallica was. I was really young because Reload had just come out. That was the first Metallica I ever heard. Yeah, not a good way to start your Metallica education. No, well, yeah, but it worked out well because that was like the speed I needed at that age. Does that make sense? Interesting. The Memory Remains and The Unforgiven 2, all those songs were like slower. Yeah. And they were like poppier. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is really heavy, you know, because I was listening to like Green Day and stuff my dad was listening to, like Steely Dan, Super Tramp, and Elton John, Bee Gees, all that stuff. All right. So hearing Metallica, even Reload Metallica, was heavy as shit. I guess perspective means everything because right. I yeah. started with Master of Puppets exactly. and Injustice for yeah. All. It's making me look at that, what I consider otherwise not so great period of Metallica in a different sort of light, considering the inspiration it provides for a guy like you. Yeah, it's weird how that can happen. And then I got Ride the Lightning right after because I just wanted another Metallica album and I liked the cover. Right. And uh, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Fight Fire with Fire was like, it made no sense to me. Like, what is happening? <laughs> and the, my favorite songs on that record were um, Fade the Black, Ride the Lightning. Anything that was kind school. of mid-tempo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I got every record up to Justice. And then Battery one day just clicked. And see you later. That was it. I compare Asteroid to kind of like if the galloping metal of Mastodon had a baby with band of horses. The production is great. The musicianship is impressive. But I think what makes Astronoid stand out is that contrasting style between musical metal and more of a, you know, a kind of a dreamy, melodic, harmonized sort of vocal style that you employ. What inspired that choice? Because when I think of metal of that, not necessarily of that style, but of that level of aggressiveness... You know, I think of, like, Cookie Monster vocals. And that's kind of a turnoff for me, and that's why I kind of gravitated more towards Astronoid because I'm like, wow, they're really melding these two disparate musical styles to form something that's very unique. I think over time, my love of dream pop and shoegaze took over. The metal was always there because I feel like I'm a metal fan first, and then I listen to a bunch of other stuff, at least from a vocal perspective. I switched from that sort of pulling from the black metal area of singing to the dream pop more. Because it was always there. I always loved M83 and Mew. Those are like two of my favorite bands, two of my biggest influence vocal-wise. It just went more in that direction. You remind me of Mew a lot, a Danish band that kind of meld similar styles. Not as heavy, but certainly... No, they're my favorite band. They're by far like my favorite Really? Them and Metallica. Oh, yeah. I can't say enough good things about that band. I think they should be the biggest band on earth. I just love how catchy they are and how smart they are. Just like their music is very thoughtful. It's like witty. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. And I love that band so much. Wouldn't it be possible to team up? That would be cool. But I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I'm like, they're, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is Never meet your idols? Is would, that what you're uh, I would love, suggesting? <laughs> well, Between the Bear to Me was the, they're one of my favorite bands like of all time growing up, too. They're another big one. I know I've said that like a hundred times. Metallica is my favorite band, Mew, Between the Bear to Me. But they all are. They all are. Like, you can have more than one favorite. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm not <laughs> giving you permission. Because uh, <laughs> I might say it more times. Let's talk about Between the Buried and Me for a second. You're opening for them on their Automata 2 tour. You're not coming through D.C., which is why we're on the phone. Do you dig touring? I love playing every night. I love sharing the music and meeting people who find something in our music. I'm finally at this point where, you know, we're constantly going out and we're constantly needing to write new material. And uh, there's two things that I, I love to do. Every band has been fun to play with. No problems with anybody. I can't think of one person that I was like, uh, I'm good. We've been touring with like-minded musicians in terms of like we're all doing kind of weird things within our genre, like Tesseract and Pliny and Zealand Arter and all these bands are just like in a weird kind of place. It's cool. Everyone's been really great and really nice and really supportive. I wouldn't have thought that. You know, you, you never know. What do they call that uh, when, you, when you're innocent? You're a wi- wide-eyed, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I feel like, I hope we're always like that. There's nothing worse than finding out this band you love are a bunch of dicks, you know? <laughs> um, and it's happened, not bands that I've played with, but like when I meet them, they're dicks. It's like, man, that sucks, you know? <laughs> That's going to be so. the title of this podcast. I always try to call uh, like one particular quote when I do my intro. And I think, I mean, so far, that's the big winner right there. That's the winner. (laughs) All right. There might be more. Who knows? Between the Buried and Me are touring in support of an album called Automata 2. Is there an Automata 1? Yes. They did a um, Coheed and Cambria Afterman and System of a Down Mesmerized Hypnotized thing where Mm -hmm. they had like a few months between two discs of the same set. Got it. It's a part of a single concept, yeah. I want to give you a fun fact, and I'm not making any accusations here. I'm ready. I was the vocalist in a metal band that got signed to Metal Blade, which is the label that Between the Buried and Me were on. The band was called Return to Earth, and we released an album in 2010 called Automata. And, uh, really? <laughs> yep. The drummer in that band was Chris Penny, who at the time had just joined Coheed and Cambria. I'm sure I've heard this album. Oh, yeah? I, yeah, keep going, keep going. Chris has, you know, a bit of a reputation as, as kind of an influential drummer, and now he's in Coheed and Cambria. So mm-hmm. they, they put our record out, you know, we put a video out. The song was also called Automata, and we did the opposite of what every metal blade or any band of our ilk should have done. We played two shows. You know, we didn't tour, and that band... uh Unfortunately, no longer exists, but I'm real proud of the work I did in that band. So when I saw Automata 2, I'm not saying like Automata was a word that we came up with, obviously, but it just seemed a little fishy to me, Brett. Seemed a little fishy. That's funny. And that actually is really strange because I'm a drummer first. I didn't know if you knew that. No, I did not. So am I. I, I, A terrible one. So uh, (laughs) I I feel like I'm I'm better at drums than I am at guitar. I played on the record. You play drums on the Asteroid records. Half of Air, and then all of the new ones. Well, even if it was one song, that would be enough to impress me. So, yeah. all right, so maybe you are better at the drums than you are at guitar. It's my main thing. But Chris Penny, but the point is, Chris Penny is one of my favorite drummers ever. I have his books. I learned how to play Dillinger Escape Plan songs growing up and in school. And I listened to every record I could find with him on it. So oh, all right. Positive. I've heard this at one point. Because I was all in the drama 
of him leaving Dillinger for Coheed. And I was on board because that was a whole thing. Like, he's going from Dillinger, one of my favorite bands, to Coheed, one of my other favorite bands. And I was like, this is cool. You know, I'm cool with it. And then it all kind of fizzled out and went shit. And I feel like that's a weird, untold story behind that. You know, I wish I was a fly on the wall seeing what the hell was going on. It was in between that period, the end of the first marriage and the start of the second marriage, which didn't last very long, that he and I worked together. And he's gone on to produce some of my solo material. You know, I got nothing but good things to say about that guy. Yeah. I think with guys like Chris, there's kind of like a weight on their shoulders because of how in demand they are and how uh, they've mastered the craft to the point that everybody kind of wants to get a piece of them in a way. Yep. I had a great experience making that record with those guys. We worked out of a studio in New Jersey called Backroom Studios. That's where I recorded the vocals for the album. Bands that influenced me as a vocalist and a songwriter have always been bands like Nine Inch Nails and Faith No More. And, you know, those are my versions of Metallica and Mew. Like, those were the bands that I kind of looked up to. He's probably the greatest singer alive right now. I'm so so happy to hear you say that. I think he's the best. I I just listened to all of... uh, the, whatever. What, what's it called? The one with the swan on it. Faith No More. Swan. Yeah, I just listened to the record yesterday, and I can't think of the name. Land of Sunshine is the first song. Angel Holy Dust. Shit. You're talking Thank about you. Faith Holy No More Supernova right here, to, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I just listened to all of Angel Dust yesterday. Funny little story. I bought the real thing just because I know the first two are regarded as like the best ones. Or like the first two with Patton. Because I do like the other stuff with Chuck. Me too. It's different. But I got the real thing and I put it in. And then I got the Epic and I was like, this is faith no more. (laughs) (laughs) You never knew that that was them? (laughs) (laughs) No. The new album comes out February 1st. It's the follow-up to Air, which is one of my favorite records of 2016. The first single off the new album is called... Do you consider it a single? Is that that a terminology that bands who don't expect to be played on the radio use? Sure, but we are on the radio, so... You are? Yeah. All right, well, I gotta go back to broadcast school then. (laughs) The song is called I Dream in Lines. Anything you want to say about this tune? Uh, Talk it up. Talk up your song, Brett Boland of Astronoid. I love this song. This is the only song that I worked on, and it was just, it kind of put itself together. And it's just like an interesting take on, like, how a painter thinks about things and how I can't think of things like that. Like, I would love to be able to just look at, I don't know, a speaker and draw it perfectly and dimensionally perfect. I just love how it all came together, and it's a lot of fun to play, too.
was I Dream in Lines by Astronoid. Earlier in the podcast, we heard A New Color, pick up the new album, and the rest of their amazing shit. Astronoidband.com. Worship them on social media at Astronoid. I want to thank Brett for the time and the conversation, Monica from Speak Easy PR, for connecting me once again with another artist that I think is super cool. And you over there, thank you for listening. Go home, the podcast's over. New episodes every month, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud. Follow online at Bald Freak Music. Send me digital chocolate, ron at baldfreak.com. Next time on Independent Minded, I freeze my balls off outside a pie shop to talk with a guy who played guitar in my Brooklyn high school band. He's Paul Todd of DC post-punk band Social Station. A long time ago, there was this guy, maybe a couple hundred years ago, he was fighting in the, uh, he was fighting around, I think it was around Philadelphia, and his arm, he was left-handed, his arm was facing towards New Jersey, you see? And that's South. So naturally they call him South Paw, you see? South Paw, South Jersey, South Camden, South Paw. You know what I mean?